Good to see everybody. Amen. Good to see you guys. I wish, like, I want to have a conversation with you guys, but there's too many of you guys. So, uh, but it's good to see everybody. Uh, what a joy it is to be back here and be back in my own church. Uh, I got to visit a couple churches while I was out there, and it just reminded me why I love our church. <laughs> Not that I don't love other people. Don't take that the wrong way. I'm trying to mean that like in a good way, you know. I see you guys went uh, thrift shopping. We've got a. 1960-something TV back there. <laughs> well, good. So what, what's been going on? I know that's not like something you ask in Sunday school, but you guys been doing okay? Everything good? Sunday school has been all right? Yeah. Uh, what I wanted to do today is I wanted to just review um, what we've been going through in practical theology. Uh, you know, uh, evidence that I needed a vacation. Uh, I thought Rami... Our speaker for the month of July was going to be here uh, today. It's not till next week, so more evidence that I needed a break. Um, so I had to just come in here and take over the Sunday school, but glad to do it. So let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, and just, as, just to kind of set things up, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and I suppose we will pray, and then we'll get started. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Uh, Thank you for blessing us uh, with your word today. Thank you that, uh, as the Apostle Paul commanded Timothy, that we are instructed to give ourselves to the public reading of the word of God. And uh, so, Lord, we just thank you that we have your word, that we can not only read it and studying it and study it, but we can live it, Lord, and we can apply it to our lives. And so we pray, God, that you would... Uh, by the power of your spirit, as you birth uh, new life in us, and as you create the power to obey, uh, may you give us that strength, Lord, to obey, not in the strength of our own might, not in the power of our, of our flesh, not in the power of, of our own religious moralism, but Lord, truly by the power of your spirit, we ask that you would give us the strength to apply your word mightily to our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I thought would be just a good place to begin talking again about practical theology and just kind of summarizing where we've been, uh, going to an indicative section of the letter. You remember, I mean, that's how we broke up practical theology was chapters 1 through 3 is indicative, chapters 4 to 6, that's imperative. So that's, you know, the commands, the duties of the believer. Uh, But here, um, we kind of just see where all of this practical theology stems from, and you see kind of the whole design. So I thought we'd read verses 1 through 10. It says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So uh, point number one, that is that, you know, prior, obviously, to conversion, to regeneration, not only did we not have the power to obey God, uh, we were living by a whole different set of standards. I mean, you want to talk about practical theology. Practically speaking, we were living disobedient lives. We were living uh, not according to the course of the Word of God, not in any kind of biblical, godly pattern, we were living according to what it says here, the course of this world. And, of course, what is this? When it says things like world in a negative sense, I mean, what does that pejorative idea mean? Well, 
The word world literally means the ethics, the philosophy, the standards, the morality of this fallen world system. Uh, what Paul in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 calls the present evil age, right? And that's really what everybody sort of lives their life according to. And so really practical theology begins uh, by God changing us, transforming us. And, and, and let me just say this, that practical theology is very important because one of the things we, we need to sort of grapple with, I guess, as Christians is that we do, according to Scripture, we do have the power to obey, correct? Uh, we, we have the power. And, and that's important because, you know, Paul speaks about that there's coming a time where people will have a form of godliness, watch this, but deny the power thereof. And what I'm saying, that what that means is they're denying that, uh, that, that their you know, profession or that their religion has the power to produce godliness in their life. Okay, and so um, what do you guys think about that? I mean, to me, that's a really big component of practical theology. Number one, that not only are we called to certain standards, but clearly from the Word of God, we are, we're n- enabled to do it, right? And so... Any questions about that? Because that's a big one. I mean, to me, um, when I look at the doctrine of regeneration, for example, what does regeneration teach us? And that's exactly where he's getting ready to go in verse 5. But regeneration is telling us that God has created new life in our heart, right? Uh, that's why he says in verse 5, well, verse 4, I didn't go that far, but, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive, that is regeneration. That's like, that's like Paul quoting Jesus. You must be born again. That's the same idea. That's the same doctrine, same concept. Um, and so what I'm saying is that through regeneration, we have the power to change. That's very important you know, for us you know, as we're struggling through the Christian life and as we read some of the things that are being said here as far as You know, we used to be sons of disobedience, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And you may think in your in your in your mind, you know, well, these are things I still battle with. These are things that are still presently a struggle. Uh, But and that's true. And I would say this. It will always be a struggle. There's plenty of room right up front, guys, as long as you're not shy. Okay. (laughs) I know that's kind of like the death march, right? Dun, 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 dun. Come on up. State your name. <laughs> right. Uh, any questions or uh, you want to add anything? Yes, Keith? Well, that's what I'm saying is that when, when he says that is denying the power thereof, the power of godliness itself. So these teachers were denying the power of the Christian life while expressing, you know, belief in it. So they were denying that the Christian life had any ability to change you, right, and to conform you to godliness. And so we need to be very careful, and I mean, that's a point of self-examination for us as we think about, you know, in our own lives, do we deny the power thereof? Or do we just say things like, well, sorry, you know, I'm just struggling with this and there's nothing I can do about it. I don't think we can say that as Christians. There's nothing we can do about it. No, when you were formerly dead in your sin, then there was nothing you can do about it. But according to this, there is something that you can do about it. You know what I mean, Brother Juan? Then I'll get to you in a second. I just want to 
listening to a podcast with the Riding Line, and they were discussing yeah. the difference between the secular 12-step program mm. and a person who had put together a biblical uh, basis 12-step program. Sure, yeah. And how the 12-step, the secular version, always had it to where once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic, or you're always a drug addict. You can never yeah. escape that. Right. Whereas the biblical model proclaimed that you're a new creature in Christ. Yeah. That, you know, the old man has passed away. Mm-hmm. And getting the addict to to see that, you know, that there is victory in Christ. There is Amen. freedom in Christ. That's a good, that's a good thing to... to I guess just to compare, you know what I mean? Because if you look at 12-step 12 12 type programs and stuff like that, you know, they're very psychology-based. They're very humanistic. Uh, they come from a – talk about, you know, like what he says, the course of the world. The 12-step program is really rooted in humanism, uh, the idea that you really do have the strength of yourself. That's not what Christianity is teaching. That's not the power thereof we're talking about. Uh, we don't have strength in ourselves, right? We are – I mean, what, is, what does Job say? I am, I am dust. I am breath. I am wind. You know, the psalmist says, Lord, remember that we are nothing, that we are dust. And that's really what we are in the sight of God. We're dust and ashes. I mean, we're nothing. You know what I mean? We can't do – what did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see what I'm saying? I mean, Jesus also said in John chapter 3, unless it's given to you from heaven, a man can do nothing. So you really – you know, are, are in a completely different worldview in biblical Christianity that what you're saying is that your obedience and your conformity from alcohol or whatever to uh, uh, sobriety, let's say, you know, is not based on your strength and your power. Which isn't that interesting, right? I mean, in the Christian life, when we change, we do not give ourselves the credit. Amen? Amen. The credit is that this is a spirit-wrought power in the heart of man and that we did not do it. This is solely based on the grace of God uh, to do that. Uh, I can say so much about that, but yeah. Go ahead, brother. Absolutely. Yeah, let's turn there real quick as a class. Romans chapter 6. Is, are you reading? Are you reading the ESV? Okay, I was just wondering. I knew you to be an NASB guy, but you kind of threw me for a loop this morning. Am I in the right church? <laughs> Brian's reading out of the ESV. Okay. Correct. Right. Beautiful. In verse 17, I thought you were going to start there, but verse 17 is important too. It says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So that, from the heart, that, that phrase right there is the all-important phrase. That is what distinguishes a Pharisee from a genuine believer, right? That distinguishes, you know, a homeschool kid that's just doing everything to please mom and dad, from, you know, the teenager that's had a r- true conversion to Christ and is doing things from the heart, right? Not because 
people expect you to do it, but because your heart genuinely now you have new desires, new impulses, new passions. You have a holy ambition and a sense, a new sense that wants to please God that you never had before. So that's, you know, that's very important. So um, as we think about practical theology, I mean, where does all this practical theology come from? It doesn't come simply from conformity to Christian things, right? I mean, that's not what we're asking of people is, you know, you went from, you, you're just swapping habits, you know, you used to watch the bad movies, now you watch all the clean Christian movies, corny movies. And you used to listen to all the bad music, now you listen to all the corny Christian rock music, right? No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that you've had a genuine heart change, beginning in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, back in Ephesians 2.5, says he made us alive together with Christ, by you, uh, by grace, you have been saved. So uh, verse 5 is pivotal, of course, because we understand that regeneration is not just simply an abstract uh, thing. It's not just an abstract phenomenon, meaning it's just there's nothing concrete or real about it. It's just sort of theoretical or ethereal, and it exists out there in the netherland, right? No, what this is telling us here is that all of this salvific work is rooted and grounded in a person, which is Christ, and our union to him. This is why, you know, if you just want to be radically blessed, and if you want your foundation of of theology to be really solid when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, you really need to understand union with Christ. And so I would recommend for you to read books on union with Christ. I think Brian Chappell has a book on union with Christ. Uh, I would pick up a really good commentary on Ephesians and study this section out, like Peter O'Brien. Well, I don't know, that's kind of discontinued now that he's... um, But you you get the point. I mean, just study anything on union with Christ to really understand uh, where the power uh, comes from. It really comes from the fact that we're united to Him. And so... From here, we don't just have the soteriology. I mean, notice, and we can spend all day in this, but I really want to get to where we've been. Notice the progression, right? As we go from uh, Paul speaking about regeneration, our union with Christ, we've been raised up with him. Look at that positional righteousness, right? Uh, he doesn't say we will be raised up. Uh, notice, the, notice, the, um, notice the tense of the verb, right? He's not saying you will be raised up with him. He says you have been raised up. He says, raised up with him and seated us with him. So we've already been, in a sense, positionally seated with Christ. And that all boils down to our doctrine of union with Christ. Uh, That's amazing to think about, right? I mean, if you really tap into that, then what you're looking at here is really uh, fodder for and fuel and a foundation for assurance to understand that if you are positionally in Christ, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, you are sure to go to him. You see what I'm saying? That's why Hebrews talks about the fact that he is our forerunner who's gone before us, beyond the veil, so that, in other words, we're going to follow in the train of his, of his, tra- of his you know, steps. But look at now, let's, let's just jump down to uh, verse 10. Because he eliminates the idea of works and all of that and establishing the principle of grace. And he says, for we are his workmanship, created, again, union with Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That walk, peripateo, that word there, just 
basically speaks of conduct, right? So we would conduct our lives, and so we would walk. We would have a lifestyle uh, in these good works. Uh, but notice what it says, right? They were created in Christ Jesus. That's always amazing to me because what it suggests is that prior to, prior even to our conversion, even to our existence, God, in the sense, talking back, you know, in terms of union with Christ, he not only saw us in connection conceptually with Christ, and on the basis of that union, he chose us and predestined us and elected us and adopted us. All of these spiritual blessings, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, not only that, but he says, even the good works that we would do as a result are because of our union with Christ, right? So he already has sort of conceived of our Christian life being lived out in Christ, in union. It's just amazing. So where did this, um, where did this Christian life begin uh, for, for us in practical theology? Look at chapter 4, right? This is, talk about recap, but I just want to kind of remind us of these things. What's the first thing that we talked about? Anyway, I just... Um, okay, so where where does it start, uh, practical theology in Ephesians? What was the first thing, remember? What is it talking about there? Anyone, anyone? Yes, sir? Yeah, what's the first topic? Mike, that's right. And so it has to do with church, <laughs> Right? And that really goes from chapter 4, verses 1 through actually 16, I believe it is. Yeah, verse 16, all the way down to verse 16, that whole section is dealing with our life in the church. Okay? Um, it's not just because it's the pastor's pet peeve to talk about that. This is where Paul started. Okay? He, was, he began talking about the unity that we have as a church so that this spirit-wrought union with Christ, this life that results from that union, right, he begins talking about as it is lived out and fleshed out in our connection to the church. That's pivotal. That's pivotal. I was just talking with, um, well, I was talking with James White last night on the phone, and he's got a guy that's attacking him right now who told him on the phone, I don't need no church. I don't need any pastors. I don't need no elders, you know, blah, 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 because first thing James was like, where do you go to church? Who's your pastor? Who's your elders? And he began renouncing his, nece- his need for a pastor. Is that biblical? <laughs> I mean, right? Like, there's a sense in which it's very important. Like, you want to gauge where someone's kind of at. I don't know about you guys, but when I meet people, I meet Christians, and they tell me they're Christians or whatnot, kind of the first or second question I have is, where do you go to church? You know what I mean? And, you know, if the answer is something like, well, you know, um, yeah, there was this one church I used to like to go to. That's like a mechanic saying, I'm a mechanic. And, you know, there's this garage I used to visit a long time ago. It's like, what? I mean, it's like a chef saying, you know, I used to go in a kitchen. I mean, if you're a Christian, I mean, you go to church. It's just that simple. You know, you don't protest outside of churches. <laughs> you don't stand outside of a church and protest, right? You go to the church. You know, you go sit in the church. And, you know, I was thinking about this because I think one of the things that people have such a hard time with with going to church and being committed to a church and all of that 
is that they don't like sitting around. They don't like just the whole idea of come, go, stop, sit, stand, stand, pray, you know, the whole thing. And I think, you know what? It takes a lot of, tell me what you think. As I think about it, it takes a lot of character to do that, right? Because everyone's always looking for the extraordinary. Everyone's always looking for what's new, what's the new thing, what's the flashy thing to do, right? What's trending, what's popular, right? All of that. And here we are with, you know, well, we're on Psalm 152. You know, we've been reading the Psalms for the last two years, right? And it takes a certain amount of character and commitment to say, I'm going to do this week in and week out for the rest of my life because that's what God calls me to do. And therefore, it has to have a good purpose. It has to play a good role in my life. And what is that role? Robert, you had a... Not that you have to answer that question, but you had a question. All the time. Combative uh, professed Christians against what we do, and the question comes up from us to them where do you go to church? Oh, well, I'm not really in one right now. Yeah. And if you end up flushing it out, it seems as if it's mainly due to the fact they don't want to be submitted to someone else. Correct. Correct. Exactly right. It's hard to submit yourself to fallible people, and that's what God calls us to, right? Is to submit yourselves to pastors and elders and overseers who are fallible and who are flawed and who make mistakes and who themselves are, you know, imperfect shepherds and and will maybe even wrong you and and might even hurt you one day. Maybe they will offend you, you know what I mean? But this is the context. I mean, you could go from here to the church across the street, give it a year. (laughs) Someone's going to offend you. You're going to get upset again, you know what I mean? And so... Any other thoughts on that? Anything, uh, Warren? Well, when I thought about this, I love America, right? And I'm a patriot. You know, I support my country. Amen, brother. Sometimes I've wondered, like, the idea, like, ideals of independence has the idea that's so much older Mm. at the grassroots level Mm. where, you know, some people want to disassociate themselves even with the whole church structure. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's I think that's a valid point. I think there's there's like something to that. I was just reading No Place for Truth, <coughs> and he talks about how even Oof. even in our wow. culture there's like an idol of impermanence. Mm-hmm. And we don't like things that are we don't like things that last. Correct. You know, we like to move, especially now. We like to do everything quickly. You know, if you want fast food, you go get it. You want a new wife, you can go get one. I mean, it's just. It's it, a, lot, a lot of things are like that. And the same thing goes for even for people who are conformed to the world. They're going to express some of those things, some of the same longings of, I just need a new church. Mm. I, I just want to be around new people and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And so I need new shoes. I need, it's just newness, freshness. It's All the time. This, That's right. You know, it's just modern. I, uh, I visit, when I was, my wife and I were in California this weekend, and um, I visited my old Calvary Chapel that I used to go to because I'm still friends with the pastor there. And, and uh, <laughs> it's so ironic, right, the way the Lord works, but he was preaching a very Calvinistic text. <laughs> and so I sat there going, hmm, how are they going to handle this? He was on John 10, uh, verse 26, where Jesus says, you, you do not believe 
because you're not my sheep, right? He didn't say you don't, you don't, you're not my sheep because you don't believe. He said the opposite, right? You do not believe because you're not my sheep, right? And so he just bounced all over. The, anyway, it's fun to watch him squirm up there, you know. But 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 you know, in going back there, I gotta say, I just I have so much respect for him. Because, you know, going all the way back to the 90s when I used to go there, he's still doing the same thing. He's still getting up there week after week, man, preaching two services uh, midweek, you know, doing all this stuff. He's still up there heralding the word of God, the gospel. And yeah, granted, we, dis- we, know, we disagree on a lot of stuff, but he's still up there unleashing the word of God week after week. And it takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of character to do that. Amen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of sit around here all day, don't we, after church? <laughs> yeah. 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 I've had people even tell me, you know, like, is this normal? Like, you guys just kind of sit around here, <laughs> you know, amen, no, that's good, that's good, and what I said earlier, too, like, when I said, you know, we got to do this, this is a pattern, we do it repeatedly, and I said something like, you know, it must be good for us, right, when we understand theologically, you know, and this is what Reformed theology has taught us over the years, that going to church is a means of grace, right, that it is a means of grace, and what do they mean, like, you know, Reformed theologians talk about the means of grace, and they really primarily focus on a few things, right? Like the, the, the Lord's Supper, going to church, you know, hearing the Word of God preached. You know, these kinds of things are a means of grace to our soul, okay? And so what, what they mean by that is that this is the means that God uses to continue to build us up in the grace of God. It's not what Catholics teach, that by observing the sacraments, you are being infused little, little by little by justifying grace. Absolutely not. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying practically, as it affects our communion, communion with God, uh, it is building us up in the faith. And, uh, and absolutely, I mean, we should feel, you know, one week, two weeks, we have go- haven't gone to church. You know, we, we should start feeling that, being like, mm, i got to get back to church. You know what I mean? Because this is not good. You know, um, Robert, you had something, sir? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a lot of people that have written some really good things about the doctrine of the church. Um, I know that Jonathan Lethem and I forgot the other brother's name, but they've written a really good book on the church. Uh, it's got a real long sort of absurd title, something like The Surprising Offensive of God's Love or something. Who titles a book like that? Anyway, all right. 
So it's a good book, though. Any of my nine marks is going to be uh, relatively good as far as doctrine of the church and stuff. And John MacArthur, I tell you what, if you just want to be washed by knowledge about the church, go to go to Grace to You and type in a passage where John MacArthur is dealing with the doctrine of the church. Man, the guy's like a machine. He's just unleashing the Word of God and teaching you like the importance of the church. So definitely do that. Any other? I mean, let's look at verse eleven. Just before we move on from this, we have a little bit more time. It says he gave some. Obviously, he begins with the. The, the, the doctrine of ecclesiology, he deals with the unity of the church and things like that. And then he deals with the gifts of the church, and then he begins talking about that he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And verse, I mean, we can focus on that, but verse 12 is really crucial. That's the purpose clause. For what? For the equipping of the saints, or the equip, equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, verse 12 is crucial and the balance is perfect because what he's saying is that in order for you to get to the end game, which is for you to uh, be uh, ministering, serving, you know, having a, a meaningful place in, in, in God's kingdom and serving in the, in the church, that comes through the equipping of the local church. Uh, and that's why, you know, like in our church, our emphasis is really on equipping you theologically equipping you to understand scripture, equipping you. That's why we've already, you know, in the short existence of our church, we've already covered systematic theology. We've already covered biblical theology. We're doing, you know, practical theology. Lord willing, next month we're going to start covenant theology. You know, ooh, was, ooh you know, covenant theology, what's that all about? So <laughs> no pressure, right? I mean, you got Chris Bess over there like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's going to come. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you see what I'm saying? I mean, to me, and it was, you know, we're not recording this, are we? Anyway, but just in running into a lot of old acquaintances and brethren, uh, it's amazing how theologically, and this is not to boast, but, you know, like Trisha and I, just how we've grown theologically, you know what I mean? And to hear people talk who really haven't because maybe of the church they still go to, they're still kind of on the milk, you know, and I'm just like, wow, you know, like, you're still talking the way you talked 10, 15 years ago, you know, like, you haven't matured and grown past that, you know, and that has a lot to do with what happens in the local church as you're being, as you're being, you know, built up, you're being equipped, you know, with the knowledge of God. Uh, that's so crucial. I mean, it's, it's so important. Yes, yes, sir. Sure. Yeah, I agree with. We should invite non-believers to church. You know what I mean, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, I went to a church. They spent. They must have spent fifteen minutes on visitors from the pulpit. Just if you're visiting, you're doing this. Grab a card. We got this going on. You're visiting. First time, stand up, sit down. You know, everyone wants to, you know, turn around, hug somebody, you know, and and, and just, I, I looked up, still talking about visitors, you know, like, maybe we're not that nice. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but. My, my dad goes to Hope Fellowship. And, um, and, uh, I try to avoid using church names, but that's okay, man. I, mean, I just, I just thought it's good to know. Yeah. You know but my dad my dad goes to that church and um 
they're 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 into. If you brought someone, we've got a gift for them. You know, we have all these. You know, we have valet parking for them. You know, for your first time. Or, you know, you can drive your car up. We'll park it for you. Um, but they're very seeker sensitive. I mean, and their whole message is we want to create a place where um, where outsiders will be uncomfortable. Where like if if you're a sinner in the world and haven't come to Christ for salvation, yeah. th- you can call this your home, you know. Right. And um, and they they recently did a survey about how many people were were born again, and they said four percent of their church said that they're born again. And there's like six there's like six thousand members at Redbird Church. Yeah, I, I think of that, and then I read a passage like James. You know, you'll give a stricter judgment. You know, for being a teacher, I think. You know, uh, it's, you know, I know that people have, in their minds, they've convinced themselves that church is a game, you know, or a business, or that it's some sort of community center. Uh, But make no mistake about it, in God's economy, when you stand before the throne of God and give an account, church is not a game, you know what I mean? And God will hold you accountable. I mean, just read what it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul talks about being tested, talking about ministers, building the church up, the temple, right? And and how you will be tested by fire, you know what I mean? And on that day, depending how you built, you will suffer loss. I don't know what that means, but it sounds terrifying, you know what I mean? And and those kinds of things, you know, James chapter 3, you will receive a stricter judgment, you know, all of those kinds of warnings, you know. And, uh, and I tell you what, I mean, church is big business. I mean, let's be honest, it's big business. Uh, I, I used to work construction with a gentleman who was, I mean, the guy was like a pirate. I mean, he had to, he cussed, not like a sailor, but like a pirate. And, and this dude, you know, just excelled at wickedness. <laughs> and he told me with the straightest face, you know, I thought about either going into something like what he was doing and managing what he was doing, or he said, I thought about maybe becoming a clergy somewhere. He said, because I, I checked the numbers and, you know, for certain denominations, you can make a really good living. I'm sitting looking, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, in God's eyes, it doesn't work that way. You know, yes, ma'am. There's a bill right now before Congress to take out of churches um, the greeting times hmm. because it offends people who are forced to stand up and shake somebody's hand and be nice. Well, we don't do that, so, you know, we're all right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe everybody will end up at our church. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And she's uh, teaching, leading a class of Cotfield's book that we oh. just, uh, just did. And, you know, she's trying to be oh. a light there and wow. begin uh, new teachings and stuff. So, you know. It's hard. You, I think you got to bloom where you're planted. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And she is. She's bringing in yeah. new hope in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. You know what I mean? That boils down to uh, your conscience and then the clear teaching of of Scripture. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, I mean, people have asked me numerous occasions, you know, when to leave a church or join a church or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm very careful with that. I don't want to be just going around, leave your church, leave your church. You know what I mean? Uh, But when a church contravenes the Word of God, I don't have have an option. You know what I mean? Because I'm Christ's minister, and I don't have freedom to just kind of go by what I think or 
not want to offend you or something like that. I'd rather just commit the truth to you and we'll see what happens. You can get mad at me or something, but that's fine. But as far as, you know, what I think what Scripture would call a church, you know, uh, we have to have that conversation. You know, what is a church, you know? Um, Man, do we have time for anything else? I don't think so. I wanted to just review chapters 4 to 6, and you guys should be laughing by now. Because for me to ref- review four, six, four, th- uh, two or three chapters is impossible. Uh, because there's just no way to get through any of this stuff. Anything stick out to you guys about, about practical theology or any area of practical theology that, um, that, you, that you think you, know, you need to grow in? Or I guess that's almost like confess- confession time. But um, that minister to you or, yeah? Work theology. The theology of work? Yeah, yeah. Didn't Landon cover that? Yes. Okay, I blame him then. I despise. <laughs> <laughs> does that qualify? I guess it does. That's like that's like tilling the ground because, dude, I don't have a green thumb in me. Ask Keith, you know. <laughs> wow. Right. Great. That's great. I don't think God's given me that grace yet, but that's <laughs> that's great, man. <laughs> me and yard work just don't mix, but <laughs> no. But that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's that's. That's just having an eternal perspective on the work that you do, and that applies to every area, every sphere, right? I mean, I mean, that was pivotal in the Reformation was the sanctity of work, you know, taking back from the Roman Catholic Church this concept of the sacred and the secular, right? That when you left the church and the mass, you were no longer around sacred things, you know, that you're just out there doing mundane things that really don't matter, you know? And Luther said, absolutely not. Everything that you do is to be done to the glory of God, and everything that you do, whether you're in, in the farm, farming, that is just as sacred to God as you serving in the church in some capacity. You do everything to the glory of God. You see what I'm saying? And so that's great. That's good. That's really good. And I think, Chris, from a pastoral standpoint, for me, you know, one thing that I think that theology, and I'm glad we covered it, is that, let's be honest, right, we tend to complain quite a bit right and i hear a lot of your complaints and i sympathize with you because when i was in the construction field i complained a lot and i it drove me crazy to have to be in an attic for 6 hours of the day 106 degrees up in palm springs you know what i mean and it was terrible and but but guess what that's what i was called to do and so you know the idea that yes our work god wants our work to be done without grumbling and complaining and just being content with the work that we have. It's all about perspective. I mean, that's, that's really what's great about this whole, uh, this whole thing about working. Uh, not as men-pleasers, as Paul says in chapter 6. Not as eye service as men-pleasers, but slaves of Christ. Look at that, right? What is he saying there? What he's saying there is that when you're punching in at work or doing whatever it is that you do for work, you know, you're really not ultimately serving man, you know, you're really ultimately serving God. And so that perspective alone can change 
everything for you in a day. So anything else? Anything else about practical theology? Anything about the family, child rearing? Anything? Yes, ma'am. Uh, if, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to share something. Um, yeah. Going back to the Ephesians 12 that has uh, grieved me with what? Uh, which one? The church here which with which one? Uh, four. Uh, okay. Um, the equipping of the saints for the work of service with the, yeah. within the, the dolls ministry in order for the girls to step up in the leadership with us. Mm-hmm. There's an expectation that they're part of the local church, obviously. And so we, they should all have that in common. And so they mm-hmm. should all be receiving this grace, right? Right. Um, this year, Heritage High School around the corner here, uh-huh. um, we had five girls who were who said, I'm ready for the work of ministry. Mm-hmm. And that by all other counts, they were, except for they were so utterly compromised on the issue of fidelity to the Bible stance on homosexuality. It had literally rendered them unqualified for the work of ministry. Sure. And I thought that was a really unfortunate reflection on the state of the church mm-hmm. because they the, here's these five girls who said, I want to be in ministry, who are now unqualified. Yeah. yeah. Because they were not, the church was not faithful to do that work. Yeah, that's right. And so I mean, to shut down that chapter. Yeah, good for you because God will honor that, you know what I mean? And the Bible says, who, who, who you, you know, God honors who honors him. And so you can never, you can never, um, you know, don't ever have to doubt that. You know what I mean? It's, it, it may be a providence that you don't understand at the moment, but you know, and you have the assurance that if you're doing something to honor him, regardless of what losses may appear to be happening, right? The fact that you're honoring him should make you, you know, sleep easy at night, you know? And, and even though it's hard, you know, uh, for the moment. But, yeah, that's, that's exactly why the doctrine of the church is so important because um, things like the cultural, you know, context that we're in, you know, where we're going in this culture, I mean, it's anyone's guess, but, I mean, look what we've gone with homosexuality, you know, and many, many, many churches are just completely unwilling to deal with that issue. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of churches are completely unwilling to touch the subject of modesty in the church. They just throw out there another, another you know, hand grenade, right? Like, you don't talk about the way women dress, or men for that matter, right? Um, don't get me started on skinny jeans and the whole thing. You know what I mean, just, man, I was so not made for an emergent church. Anyway, <clears throat> but you know what I mean. I mean, we don't talk about that stuff, you know? We don't... Um, we don't talk about. It. I remember I was meeting with Tom Pennington once, and he 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 made a, a point about the minister's dress. I forgot what we were talking about, um, and he said, "You know, if you look at ESPN, I mean, these guys are talking about basketball and baseball, and they are dressed to the nine. You know what I mean? And and why? Because they know that the information they're talking about is important." statistics, facts, money, contracts, business. And they're not there in their, you know, Mickey Mouse t-shirt and, you know, torn jeans. I mean, they're there as completely upright, serious presenters. You know what I mean? I thought, okay, that's a that's a really good application because what we're handling is even more serious. You know what I mean? And how much more, therefore, should we be careful even with how we dress in the church and how that reflects either reverence or irreverence, right? And so um, 
I mean, you know, our church, we don't have like a dress code. We're not going to go around, you know, inspecting people in terms of, you know, do you meet our standards? But we'll let you know, you know, if you're immodest, we will definitely approach you and we'll have that conversation if we have to. You know, it's amazing to me. Pastors are so terrified to talk about this. It's just, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? I'm not. So, you know, I'm not afraid to talk about that issue. You know what I mean? It's, it's something that the Word of God clearly gives us. And so, and I think in our church, we are, we're blessed to have a modest church. So, and let's just continue in that, that vein of thought. You know, because I tell you what, being in sunny Southern California, uh, you know, that's really a doctrine they don't want to preach on a lot. <laughs> it's just, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's more lax. Any other things? We got a few more minutes. Any other subjects about practical theology? Yes, sir. Praise God. Right. Yes, sir. Have you seen the little book out on the bookstore um, uh, by Donald Whitney? It's called Family Worship by Donald Whitney. It's a tiny little book. Um, really good. Donald Whitney's done a really great job on family worship. Uh, the best part about it is it's such a small book, right? And that kind of speaks to the spirit of where he's coming from. And what he's saying is, guys, like, don't, don't, like, you don't need to give a dissertation every night. <laughs> like, just open the Bible, read it, pray, sing a song or something, and, you know, share something out of the Bible. You know, that's it. You know, don't prepare a three-point expository sermon. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, we tend to do that, right? We put so much pressure on ourselves, Right to do that. I mean, hey, whatever you feel at liberty to share. But I mean, even right now with Eden, we're already getting her in the, in the mode every single night. We sing, a, we do a hymn, we open up our hymnals, we pray. I teach a chapter out of the Bible or a section out of the Bible. We pray, Amen. It's done. Boom. You know what I mean? So from every single night, she's going to get that. You know, as long as the Lord wants me to take care of her. <laughs> so. So, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's, it transform, you know, even the way your kids will look at you. You know, that dad is the head. Dad is the teacher, the preacher. He's the prophet, priest, and king of his home. You know what I mean? And the way he shepherds the home and the way the home works, it all flows from that. And how powerful for kids to grow up with dad holding the Bible, right, in front of them in a structured way. I didn't grow up like that. You know what I mean? How many of you guys did not grow up like that? There you go. So we have a marvelous opportunity, right, to begin a whole new, uh, a whole new generational, you know, blessing of bringing the word of God into the center of our homes and the way that we shepherd our families. And that's just huge. Anybody else want to speak to that? I know that's a big one. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Good. Anything else? Five minutes? Should I be a good boy and end and early? I always get in trouble in Sunday school, but uh, let's pray, guys. So let's go to worship. We've got, we got a good time ahead of us here. Father, thank you for uh, this short time of looking at your word and practical theology as we move forward. And next week, we, we really just pray your blessing.
pray ahead of time uh, for our brother Joseph Urban, who will be here uh, on the 16th. We pray that you'd uh, encourage us through him and through his family. Thank you for what you're doing here at Heritage Grace. We give you all glory. We ask that you bless our worship now. In Christ's name, amen.